Well, thanks be to God for his word. Thank you so much, J.D., for reading so well this morning. It's wonderful to see you all today. I always find it so extraordinary to see what people are capable of doing when they are motivated to do something. When they're motivated to do something beyond what we think is possible. I don't know if we've got any triathletes here in the congregation today, but there's this thing called the Ironman Ultra Marathon in Hawaii. You might have heard of it. First off, you kick off at 7 o'clock in the morning. You have to three, swim for 3.85 kilometres. Then you hop on your push bike. So, Malcolm, 180 kilometres riding on your bicycle. You hop off your bicycle and then you do a full marathon, 42 kilometres. I think the world record's about eight hours and three minutes non-stop. What on earth keeps them going? Well, I think it's the glory of simply finishing the toughest triathlon in the world. How about another example? The Aussies and the Kokoda track, 1942. Outnumbered, ill-equipped, climbing up and down massive mountains. In energy-sapping mixture of humidity and mud, malaria, dysentery, against an enemy that had never been defeated before in World War II. Yet, yet against all the odds, they prevailed. What kept the Aussies going? The honour and glory of defending Australia, their homeland and their families. They endured every hardship. They persevered against all opposition to fulfil their goal. And this highlights the truth for all of us that motivation is everything in life. Have you ever felt like giving up? Life's too hard, you just want it to stop. I know that I've sometimes felt tempted to give up. It could be, for some of us, your job. You're so sick of your job. Or maybe you don't actually have a job and you really want a job. Maybe when you're desperately sick, or discouraged. It's very, very easy to lose heart. Sometimes it might even be family issues, when you're so drained by the lack of sleep, dealing with children. We might even be tempted to lose heart in following Jesus as a Christian. Friends, all of us face the temptation to give up and to lose heart and get discouraged when we face profound difficulties and even opposition in our life. And today's passage gives us hope. There is hope for all of us when we feel like we just want to give up. If there was anyone who had a right to give up, I think it was Paul. He had tough almost all of the time. He faced opposition from every side. He suffered terribly. But this passage today reveals what motivated Paul to continue in spite of the overwhelming pressure that he faced. So here's a big question for all of us today. Why did Paul not lose heart? Why did Paul not lose heart in his ministry? Why did Paul not lose heart in his life? And friends, the simple answer is that Paul saw Jesus. Paul saw Jesus in all of his glory. On that road to Damascus, 
as he was preparing for a new round of persecution against the Christians there that he hated, Paul encountered the risen King Jesus in all of his glory and all of his power and all of his majesty. And this single event transformed Paul utterly. It turned his life upside down. He went from being the strongest opponent of the gospel to its most passionate supporter. He devoted the rest of his life to making the good news of Jesus known. And friends, it is in this passage today that Paul reveals why he did not lose heart. And so we're going to spend a few minutes specifically looking at verses 4, 5 and 6 because they carry an extraordinary message uh, even as we read these verses today. So in verse 4, Paul starts off by explaining, why is it, you know, Paul, that not all unbelievers accept the gospel? Why, why don't they accept your message? And Paul explains why. In their case, the God of this world, the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, at first, sentence, at first glance, this is a really clunky sentence, isn't it? But if we look at it carefully, we see that the evil one wants to keep unbelievers in darkness. He's a very, very cruel enemy. He does not want people to see the light of the gospel. But for me, what's really interesting here is how the gospel is described. The gospel is described as the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The gospel or the good news is the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, this was a little bit new to me. Have you ever thought of the good news in this way, as the glory of Christ? That when we become a follower of Jesus, we see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And verse 6 continues this description. If we pop over to verse 6, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, the reason that this might be a fresh perspective to many of us is that if we've grown up in church circles, we can become so familiar with churchy words. And gospel is the ultimate, isn't it? Just to go back, we know that in the original language, gospel was actually a secular word, meaning the public proclamation of good news. The world-changing announcement of a glorious victory. And we know from 1 Corinthians 15 that the gospel is based on certain facts of history, that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he conquered death by being physically raised from the dead on the third day, all according to the scriptures. Praise God. But this passage is saying that the good news is not just having our sins forgiven, as true as that is. It is not just getting saved from judgment, as awesome as that is. It is not just being adopted as the children of God, as breathtakingly true as it is. We can call the God of the universe our Father. 
And it's not just having eternal life, getting a resurrected body and living on the new earth forever under God's kingdom rule. All these things are absolutely true. And it's a cause for overwhelming celebration and joy for believers in Jesus. But what this passage shows is that the gospel is that we will ultimately see Jesus in all of his glory as the image of God himself. Now, I don't know about you, but that's astonishing. When we think about the extraordinary displays of the glory of God in the Bible, think of the revelation of God to Moses on Mount Sinai, the filling of the tabernacle and the temple with the glory of the Lord, the vision of Isaiah of the glory of God in Isaiah chapter 6. The vision of Ezekiel in his first chapter. We read of an overwhelming display of power and majesty and light and thunder. A truly awe-inspiring presence that causes everyone to bow down in reverent fear and trembling. But there's a bit of a disconnect, isn't there? This heavenly glory of the Lord doesn't quite make sense when we think of the incarnate Son of God, Jesus, humbly serving in the Roman province of Judea almost 2,000 years ago. Where is the glory? In Jesus' life and ministry, we don't have an overwhelming display of power and majesty and light and thunder. How can Paul say that the good news is seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus? This is where the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God makes sense. God loves undermining what the world exalts. God loves subverting the values of what this world holds dear. Instead of a powerful warrior that the Jews were expecting, Jesus came as a meek teacher, teaching with authority. Instead of an arrogant tyrant, Jesus came as a humble prophet. Instead of a rich businessman, Jesus came as a modest carpenter from Galilee. From the world's point of view, there was nothing glorious about Jesus. And yet... And yet, what did Jesus do in the Gospels? He healed the sick. He healed the lame. He healed the blind. He healed the outcasts, the lepers. Jesus delivered those plagued by demonic oppression. Jesus cared for the poor and the downtrodden and the oppressed. And in the ultimate demonstration of the wisdom of God overcoming the folly of this world, Jesus became the perfect atoning sacrifice for our sins, taking our place when the wrath of God was poured out at Calvary. This is incomprehensible to a world that pursues self-fulfillment, power and pleasure. But in each of the signs of Jesus, we get glimpses. We see glimpses of the heavenly glory of God revealed. Think back to Jesus' baptism. A voice boomed out from heaven. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Every time Jesus performed a miracle, we see the inbreaking of the glorious kingdom rule of God. 
At the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John saw the glorified Jesus as he truly is. And in his death and resurrection, Jesus revealed the ultimate glory of conquering death itself. That evil curse which everyone knows is just wrong. And so this is why Paul makes it crystal clear in verse 5 that he preaches Jesus Christ as Lord. Not the emperor, not the false teachers he's dealing with in Corinth, and especially not the default idol of every person who's ever lived, placing ourselves at the centre of the universe. No, Jesus Christ alone is Lord. He is worthy of all praise and worship and honour and glory. And so our humble response is the same as that of Paul. To serve others for Jesus' sake. In fact, the word servant there can also be translated slave. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. And so... Friends, it is because Paul saw the glory of the risen Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that he can so confidently declare in verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. When everything's against us, when we're at our wit's end, when we can't handle going to one more youth group to help lead the children, in whatever way that we're serving in the church or in life, we do not lose heart. It is this spiritual reality that sustained Paul in the midst of his outward experience that was so tough. And it is this spiritual reality that sustains us here in our service at North Pine. Now, we'll just briefly look at some of the opposition that Paul faced in Corinth. Uh, They were accusing him of a whole bunch of lies. They were deceitful. They were manipulative. They were subtly changing the message to make it more palatable to listening ears. Listen to verse 2. We've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. That's the model we are to follow. I don't know about you, but uh, I really love reading about the different stories that Jesus taught about in the Gospels. Oftentimes, Jesus would make a powerful point just using a simple idea that people could identify with. In Matthew thirteen forty-four, we see one very brief parable, if you like, in just one verse. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Treasure hidden in a field and a man found and covered up. Then in all of his joy, he goes and sells all he has and he buys that field. Not sure what you think of when you think of treasure, but I think of gold. Lots and lots of gold. The reason so many sailors embraced piracy a few centuries ago was a lure of fabulous wealth in hidden treasure chests with a a map to go and find it in the West Indies. But did you know something? Ultimately, they didn't want just the gold and the jewels and the pearls to run through their fingers and to look at. They wanted all the benefits uh, and the lifestyle that such wealth could provide. 
They wanted all the trappings of an extravagant lifestyle, carefree, no worries at all in the world. And deep down, sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, we all long for such a, a treasure, the provision of a lifestyle that we've always longed for. Well, it's very interesting in verse 7, not only does Jesus say that the kingdom of heaven is like this treasure, Paul is actually saying that Jesus himself is that treasure. Look at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Put it to you that this treasure is referring back to what Paul is talking about in verses 4, 5 and 6. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. The gospel of the glory of Christ and all that includes in the life of the age to come. When we treasure the glory of Christ and his gospel above everything else that this world has to offer, we begin to understand why Paul did not lose heart in ministry. And as we embrace this treasure ourselves, we too learn the secret of not losing heart in our ministry of service living for King Jesus. But friends, this is where the enemy steps in. This is where the enemy succeeds in blinding unbelievers. They are blind to the true nature of this treasure in Jesus. They don't realise that only Jesus can save us from the judgement for our sins, that only Jesus can provide the eternal life in the new creation, free from suffering and evil. And believe it or not, all of us here, we are the evidence that you cannot judge the value of something by the packaging it comes in. Now back then, clay pots weren't very valuable. In contrast to the magnificence of treasure, there could not be a more mundane comparison with jars of clay. They were ordinary, cheap storage pots, made of mud and clay, fragile, easily breakable. No one would give a second thought to a functional household container like a clay pottery jar. So why on earth would God choose to hide the treasure of the gospel in such ordinary people as us? Now, don't get, don't get me wrong here. Don't bail me up over a copy afterwards. To me, all of you are wonderful, marvellous brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus. But to the world, we don't appear as anything special. Uh, we're not especially rich or good-looking or intelligent that believers, unbelievers would fall over themselves to seek this treasure from us. But God delights in using ordinary, humble people like us to proclaim the glory of the gospel of Christ. And I think you know why. The reason is very simple, so that God gets all the glory, not us. Deep down, we all know that we're glory junkies. We just can't get enough glory. We want glory for ourselves. We don't even have to do anything for pride to well up in us. It's just so easy to become full of ourselves. Why, look at me. I'm pretty good, hey? Paul delights in reminding us the answer to our pride and to our self-glorification is to look to Jesus and to be captivated by his glory. Listen to the ordeal Paul suffered and yet persevered through in verses 8 and 9. 
We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Friends, we know there is a cost to following Jesus. For Paul, the daily dying to self was so necessary for the gospel to come with power to unbelievers who desperately needed new life, to be made spiritually alive. And daily dying to self was vital for Paul in serving the believers in Corinth, that they might grow in their faith, that they might embrace the fullness of life that only Jesus offers. And so it is true for us as well. Paradoxically, life comes through dying to self. Verse 11, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And Paul finishes all of this off with a certain hope that we have as believers in Jesus. That since Christ is risen from the dead, so too will he raise us up and bring us into his presence. Just think of that, that we will see the risen, glorified Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, resplendent in glory, the author of everything that is beautiful and good and true, of his kingdom where justice and righteousness reign, where suffering and evil and crying and pain are banished forevermore, where we live in perfect harmony with God and with each other and with all creation, with people from every tribe and people and nation and tongue. That is our future. That is what keeps us going. Verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise up us, us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. This is not something just for us to rejoice in. In the midst of all of our challenges that we face here in 2016, this is also a clarion call for us to keep looking to Jesus in the ministry that we all share in. Friends, did you know that if we're followers of Jesus, all of us are called into ministry, not just Duncan and Dale and Greg. And the reason is because ministry is simply another word for service. It's astonishing, but it's true, that God delights in using us ordinary jars of clay to bring the treasure of the glory of Jesus to people all around us who desperately need the gospel. But this does not mean it's going to be easy. And we will not endure every hardship, we will not endure every discomfort, every difficulty, unless our hearts are captured by the reality of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. It'll just become too hard to sacrificially love others and serve one another in our community unless we have that intrinsic motivation to do so in Jesus. Listen to the final verse. For it is all 
for your sake, but so that as the grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Well, let's draw all these threads together. How do we not lose heart in life? The answer is simple. To see the glory of Jesus. Have you seen Jesus? Is the glory of Christ and his gospel more precious to you than anything this world has to offer? Now, let's be honest. We didn't experience the supernatural vision of the glorified Christ that Paul had on the road to Damascus. Please let me know if you've had a vision on the road to Dacobin, perhaps. And we shouldn't laugh because there are testimonies of people who have had visions of Christ appear to them, particularly in the Middle East. And they've been gloriously converted as a result. But one thing we do have, we do have the eyewitness testimony of the Bible, which is the very word of God to us. And we have the spirit of God, which confirms the truth of this testimony as we believe in Jesus, the son of God. And so, friends, if you want to see Jesus, there is no substitute than asking, pleading for the Holy Spirit to convict our hearts as we prayerfully meditate on Scripture. But another question. What happens if you're one of the people here today who perhaps does not treasure Jesus above everything else? If deep down, if we're really honest with ourselves, we find there are many other things that we find which are far more compelling than Jesus. The question for all of us is clear. Have we seen Jesus? Or have we been blinded by the God of this world? This world and its desires are passing away, maybe sooner rather than later. And the spiritual reality is that Jesus does have the supremacy over all things, He is risen from the dead. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And one day everyone will see this truth. We will see him in all of his glory and his splendor and his majesty as he establishes his eternal kingdom on the new earth, the kingdom of righteousness and justice and peace and mercy and grace and love. Have you seen Jesus? Because it is the truth of the gospel of the glory of Jesus, that we do not lose heart. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father God, all of us face times in our life when we do lose heart. I pray especially for those people here today who might be right on the edge of losing heart today. I pray that you'd reveal yourself in a new way Father, that we would see the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus, that we would treasure his glory above everything else that this world has to offer. Lord, we thank you for the gospel and all of its myriad benefits. We rejoice in them. But above all, we thank you that one day we will see the Lord Jesus face to face, the author and perfecter of everything that is good and beautiful and true. So, Lord, in the midst of the challenges we face individually, the challenges we face as a congregation. We pray that we would not lose heart, that we'd continue to encourage one another to keep 
seeing Jesus. And we pray that you'd open the eyes of our heart to see this by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.